Who is the devil and where did he come from? Does he have any power? If he does, where does he get it from? What are the wiles and schemes of the devil that the Bible keeps talking about? How much attention should we be giving the devil? If the devil is defeated, can't we just ignore him? In this series, we're going to the Word to find the answers to these very common questions and more. Hello and welcome to Faith Talks. I'm your host, Emily Preston, and in these podcasts, we will be discussing how to practically apply the principles found in the Word, or how to be a doer of the Word, so that you can start seeing more of the manifestation of God's grace in every area of your life. Everybody and welcome back to Faith Talks, where we are learning how to walk by faith through grace. Today is part 15 of my teaching, Know Thy Adversary. And over the last few months, we have spent a great deal of time getting to know our enemy, knowing who he is, knowing how he operates, knowing how he gets access to our lives, how we give him power. So I know that everybody's really keen to get into the how-tos of all the things that we've talked about. However, what I'd like to do in this episode is just give a brief recap of everything that we've talked about from episode one to episode 14. And the reason for that is because we've talked about so many things and gone into a lot of depth of teaching on each point, what I'd like to do is just give you an overall picture. So from A to Z of what we've learned about our adversary. So that's what I'm going to do in this episode. I'm going to take you through the journey from the very beginning to where we are now, and then we're going to slide right into the how-tos. So I really encourage you to listen because it'll just connect all the dots for you about everything that we've learned in the past 14 episodes and just give you a refresher because it's been quite a while since we started talking about all of this. Okay, so we've been getting to know our adversary and who is our adversary? Our adversary is Satan, but Satan didn't start off as Satan, as you know. Satan was originally Lucifer, and Lucifer was created by God, and he was God's best archangel. And according to Ezekiel 28, Lucifer was in the Garden of Eden. He was there with Adam and Eve, and the Bible describes him as the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. He was there, Lucifer was there in the Garden of Eden when God created Adam and Eve, and God had placed him there as his best angel. Lucifer was God's best angel. He was the highest of all his cherubim, and God gave Adam and Eve his best because that's who God is, that's what he does, and he gave Lucifer to Adam and Eve to protect, guard, and minister to them while they were in the garden. And now Lucifer was there. He saw and heard God make mankind, create him in his very image and in his very likeness. He saw him make mankind just a little lower than himself, but over the angels. He saw him crown them with glory and honor and set them over the works of all of his hands and put all things in subjection under their feet. He saw God give mankind a 
flesh and blood body, which gave them absolute dominion and authority over all the earth and everything in it. And Lucifer was jealous. <laughs> Lucifer wanted what man had. He wanted to be just like the Most High. He wanted to have unlimited dominion and authority in the earth, just like this creature, like this man that God had made. And this was the iniquity that was found in Lucifer. So what did he do next? He took the body of a serpent. Now, this isn't explicitly written in the Bible. However, I believe that based on what the Bible has told us about all of these things, that Lucifer had to take the body of a serpent because he had to disguise himself to Adam and Eve. If you think about it, God had put Lucifer in the garden to protect Adam and Eve and minister to them, and they would have known him. They would have known Lucifer. They would have known that he was their servant and that they had been created higher in rank than him and that he was there to minister to them. So if he'd come to them to try to deceive them in his own form, I believe that they would have put him in his place. <laughs> so Lucifer had to take the body of a serpent to deceive Adam and Eve, even by the form that he came in and further deceive them into giving him what he so desperately craved, which was their dominion and authority. And he was successful in deceiving them, and they willingly handed their dominion and authority that God had given them over to Lucifer, and this is when he became Satan, our adversary, our opponent, destroyer, false accuser, slanderer, enemy, and foe. And Satan was now God, small g, God of this earth because a human in a flesh and blood body had submitted to him and given him the authority and dominion that was rightfully theirs. And because they did it willingly, God couldn't just destroy Adam and Eve and destroy Satan and start all over again because he was bound by his word. He had given mankind rulership and dominion over the earth and they had willingly handed it over to Satan. They did it of their own free will. So Satan, in a sense, held Adam and Eve hostage because of their sin against God. And more or less, he was saying to God, if you destroy me, you're going to have to destroy your beloved creation too, because they willingly gave me their dominion and authority. So God had to come up with another plan to restore mankind to their position of authority in their earth and do it legally. And so he came up with the plan of redemption. Remember that spirits have to have a flesh and blood body cooperating with them in order to accomplish anything in the earth. Lucifer took the body of a serpent illegally, but God came into the earth legally through a sinless man in a flesh and blood human body called Jesus, who paid the ransom for sin and drew all of the judgment and curse for sin to himself and freed the hostages. 
Satan was utterly defeated at the cross. Jesus made a show of him openly, just like a conquering Roman general paraded his defeated foe through the streets for all to see. Satan was paraded through the streets of heaven. A spectacle was made of him. Jesus the victor and Satan the defeated foe. And this is when Satan, the accuser of the brethren, was cast down. Now salvation has come. Now strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his might have come. And Satan was cast out of heaven. He was hurled out of heaven. And he no longer has any access to the throne of God to accuse mankind before God, to cast man's sin up before him. Sin is no longer an issue between God and man. It has been cast into the sea of forgetfulness. It is as far as the east is from the west. Our sins and iniquities he remembers no more. Now, instead of Satan being able to access the throne of God, we can go boldly before the throne of grace and obtain mercy and grace to help us. In addition to this, Ephesians 2 tells us that when Jesus was raised, we were raised up together with him. We are now seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus at the right hand of majesty, far above all principalities, powers, might, dominion, and every name that is named. Once again, all things have been put in subjection under our feet. Once again, dominion and authority in the earth has been restored to us. Once again, we are to rule and reign as kings in this life because our life is now hidden in Christ. We are in him and he is in us. But just because Satan is defeated doesn't mean that he has stopped being our enemy and it doesn't mean that we can ignore him. (laughs) We are still living in his territory. Satan is still God of this earth and he will remain God of this earth until Jesus comes back. And so as long as we are still living in his territory in the earth, we still have to enforce his defeat. Satan still roams like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But the only ones he can devour are those who don't resist him, the ones who give him place, the ones who fall for his schemes, his wiles, his tactics, and his devices. And because Satan is still a spirit, he still needs a person in a flesh and blood human body to submit to him in order to get access to them or in order to carry out any of his wicked plans. Satan can't just come in and possess people or wreak havoc in their lives. He has to deceive them into submitting or cooperating with him. He has to employ trickery, cunning, craftiness and deceit. He has to deceive people into submitting to or cooperating with him. 
So how does he do this? How does he deceive people into cooperating or submitting to him through wiles, trickery, devices, and schemes? And what are his wiles, trickery, devices, and schemes? 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11 tells us that they are his thoughts, his thoughts. The only way that he can get access to people or carry out his wicked plans for people or the earth is through whispering his lies, his suggestions, arguments, reasonings, and opinions to people. And then if he can get people believing that his thoughts are their thoughts, their words, actions, and behavior will follow. And if people don't know the word of God or their minds aren't renewed to the word of God, there is little to no truth in them to expose the lies. There's nothing to show that what they're listening to is a lie. And this is how the devil successfully influences people to think, say and do terrible, evil things to themselves or to other people. This is how he influences politicians and governments and lawmakers into saying and doing things that are completely ungodly. This is how he keeps people in bondage to things that are completely opposed to God's perfect plan for their lives. This is how he keeps people sick, diseased, struggling financially, depressed, anxious, fearful, or in bondage to the things that Jesus shed his blood to atone for. The only way that he gets access to anybody's life or is able to carry out any of his wicked plans to steal, kill and destroy is by convincing people that his thoughts are their thoughts. It's through his thoughts about ourselves and other people that he deceives people into breaking the only commandment that God has given us under the new covenant, which is to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law of sin and death. We now operate under the law of the spirit of life where the blessing is, where divine health is, where protection and wisdom and joy and peace and life in every area of our lives is. But if we break the commandment to love and participate in anger, unforgiveness, strife, offense, envying, jealousy, criticism, hatred, malice, slander, lying, complaining, cursing, mocking, gossiping, if we speak death-filled words about ourselves or anyone else, that includes politicians, that includes people who annoy us, people who don't agree with us, that includes public figures and church leaders, anybody else, any of our other fellow children of God, we are cooperating with the devil. We are, in a sense, giving him an open door and exposing ourselves to the law of sin and death, which is still in full operation out there in the world. If you think about it, when we condemn, criticize, mock, slander, gossip, complain about people, judge people, criticize people, we are linking arms and joining forces with the accuser of the brethren. 
We are joining sides with him. When we break the commandment to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, we are exposing ourselves to the law of sin and death and cooperating with the devil. In addition to that, giving place to negative emotions causes our bodies to malfunction. Medical science has proven and documented extensively that negative emotions and thought patterns result in chronic and acute medical conditions and mental illness. Science has proven what the Bible has said for thousands of years. Not only does not walking in love negatively affect our health, but the Bible tells us that faith works by love. Faith is effective or gets results by love. The two go hand in hand. We cannot be constantly criticizing and condemning people, any people, and expect our faith to work. Faith and love have to be working in cooperation with each other in order for us to see the results to our faith. And again, notice that all of the things that open the door to the devil, all of the ways that we cooperate with him or give him place, start with thoughts. Remember, the wiles, the schemes, the devices, and the tactics of the devil are his thoughts. Jealousy and envy start with thoughts. Anger and wrath and hatred start with thoughts. Unforgiveness and offense toward other people start with thoughts. Bitterness and resentment and jealousy and envy and pride start with thoughts. Lying and stealing start with thoughts. Death-filled words start with thoughts. Fear, anxiety and worry start with thoughts. Every kind of sinful behavior that the Bible defines as sin starts with a thought. So the devil will tempt us with destructive thoughts about ourselves or other people or situations, hoping we'll take his bait and expose ourselves to the curse of the law of sin and death. The devil can't put sickness on us. He can't put disease on us. He can't cause tragedy in our lives. He can't steal, kill, or destroy in our lives without our cooperation. He has to present us with situations and opportunities to take his bait and expose ourselves to the curse of the law of sin and death, to cooperate with him. We expose ourselves to the decay and the destruction that he wants so desperately to unleash on us. And when we give place to these destructive thoughts, words, and emotions, we are letting out the sound of a wounded rabbit. Remember, we talked about that a few episodes ago, that the devil who is roaming around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, when we speak words of death, when we complain and criticize and mock and condemn, when we speak death-filled words about ourselves or or other people, we are letting out the sound of a wounded rabbit, alerting him to our whereabouts and letting him know that we are easy prey. 
But I just want to encourage you that just because we get into an argument with someone or happen to speak out of anger or a negative thought crosses our minds or we have a moment where we get into negative emotions, it doesn't mean that destruction is suddenly going to be unleashed on our family. Remember the principle of seed time and harvest that Jesus talks about in Mark chapter 4 and that this principle governs all the principles of the kingdom. The principle of the kingdom is that we reap what we sow. And Galatians 6 verse 8 says that he who sows to the flesh by giving into fleshly desires, words and actions will of the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows to the spirit by thinking and saying and doing what the Holy Spirit would think, say or do, shall of the spirit reap everlasting life. When we plant and water seeds of death, eventually we will reap death. But when we plant and water the word of God, seeds of life, life is what we will enjoy the harvest of. So if we recognize that we've acted in anger or that we've said something that we shouldn't have said or we've let our emotions get the better of us, don't condemn yourself. Just be quick to repent. Pull that seed up before it has the chance to sprout. The good news is, is that God never tells us to do something without giving us the ability to do it. God has told us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, and he has given us the ability to love others and love ourselves because he first loved us, to forgive others because he first forgave us. 1 John 5 verse 18 tells us that we know that whoever is born of God does not sin. And what is that sin? Against the law of love. But he who has been born of God keeps himself, guards himself, keeps and guards himself, and the wicked one cannot touch him. The wicked one cannot touch the one who has been born of God and guards himself by not sinning against the law of love. And I gave you the example of a military bunker that's in the middle of a battlefield where a war is raging and all around bombs are falling, bullets are flying, grenades are exploding, death and destruction is all around. But in that military bunker, any soldier, any military personnel who remain in that bunker, they remain safe, secure, and protected from everything that's going on around them as long as they remain in that safe place out of sight of the enemy. And God tells us that it is possible to dwell in the secret place of the Most High and to abide or live and remain under the shadow of the Almighty, a place that's safe and secure and protected, a place of divine health, divine peace, divine protection, wisdom, joy, and provision, a place where we are delivered from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence, a place where we never have to be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow that flies by day, a place where pestilence and destruction cannot touch us, a place where no evil, no evil 
will befall us and no plague will come near us. A place where a thousand will fall at our side and 10,000 at our right hand, but it will not be able to come near us. A place from where we will be able to look outside and see the destruction that comes on the wicked. And the way we stay in that secret place, out of sight of the enemy, safe and secure, is by saying of the Lord. We have to say some things about the Lord, and that's how we dwell in the secret place. We have to speak the promises of God over ourselves every single day and never expose our whereabouts to the enemy by speaking words of death and fear. The way we remain in that secret place is by being a doer of the word and not a hearer only. And we learned that a doer of the word will speak the word of God, agree with God, confess or say what he says. The way we remain in the secret place is by declaring the promises of God concerning our health, our protection, our wisdom, our peace, our provision, and everything else the blood of Jesus paid for. Revelations 12 verse 10 tells us that the accuser of the brethren has been cast down and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. The devil is defeated. He has been cast down. Now we overcome him or we enforce his defeat by testifying what the blood of the lamb paid for by putting the blood of the lamb over our households, over our family, over our finances, over our marriage, over everything else in our lives with our mouth by testifying, confessing and declaring what the blood of the lamb paid for. So I just want to encourage you that it could be that you're just finding out about some of these things. It could be that you've been dealing with something in your life that may be the result of cooperating with the devil through negative emotions, fear or death-filled words, or simply because you didn't know any of these things we've talked about, or you haven't been covering yourself with the blood of Jesus or the promises of God every day. Maybe you haven't been living and abiding and remaining in the secret place of the Most High like you should, and no condemnation to anybody. We've all been there. But I just want to encourage you that the devil still doesn't have any right to touch you or your family. He has no right to touch you. And this isn't the time for condemnation. This isn't the time to beat yourself up about what you did or didn't do or where you missed it. It's time to enforce his defeat and resist him until he flees. I was talking to someone the other day about this. If you came out of your bedroom and found a dirty, drunk intruder in your home, you wouldn't think, now I wonder where he got in. You, would, <laughs> you wouldn't walk around your house looking for a door or a window that he got through. No, you would do everything in your power to kick him out of your house. And then once he was dealt with, you would then take the time to find out where he got in. 
And I see this so often. Many people are fighting the fight of faith for something. Instead of just concentrating on kicking the intruder out of their house, they spend too much time trying to figure out where he got in, where the thief got in. Was it something I did or something I said? How did I open the door to the enemy? And that's fine. That's good. We need to figure out how we cooperated with him, but do it after the fight of faith is over. Now is not the time to think about those things. And God will show you. He wants you to know. But now is the time to kick the enemy out of your life. And then you can ask God to show you how he managed to get in and put his dirty feet up on your coffee table. And the only way the devil can keep his feet up on your coffee table is if he can convince us to let him stay there just a little bit longer. And the only way he can keep us dealing with those health issues, those financial issues, those relationship or emotional issues or any other issues is through the same tactics he has always used by whispering his lies and suggestions to us that are designed to convince us that we're not healed, that we're not provided for, that we're not blessed or not protected, or that we don't have peace in every area of our lives, that we don't have everything the word tells us that we have and that we aren't who the word says that we are. What does he have to do? He has to first steal the word. Remember that a spirit cannot accomplish anything in this earth without human cooperation. The devil can't come in and put sickness on us, put disease on us, cause financial ruin in our lives, put depression or anxiety on us or anything else without our cooperation. Why? Because God has already given us everything that we need for life and godliness. 2 Peter 1 verse 3 tells us God has already given us everything that we need for both life and godliness. We already have it. We already are healed. We are already saved and delivered and set free. Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law of sin and death at the cross. It is finished. And now God has given us a book of great and precious promises telling us what we already have. It's not coming to us. It's not on its way. It's not up in heaven waiting for us after we die. The blessings of the Lord are ours right now. We are healed right now. We are delivered right now. We have everything that Jesus died to pay for right now. And God's given us his word to show us what we have, to tell us who we are. So the only way the devil can talk us out of what we already have, the only way he can convince us that we're sick, struggling, depressed, suffering, or lacking anything is if he can steal the word. He has to first steal the word. 
Why? Because it's the word that tells us that by the stripes of Jesus, we were healed. It's the word that tells us that the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is living in us, giving life to our mortal bodies. It's the word that tells us that we are blessed exceedingly abundantly far above all that we can ask or think. It's the word that tells us that we have the fruit of the spirit, which is love, joy, peace, peace patience and all those other things. It's the word that tells us that no weapon, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. So if he can steal the word, he can then go on to successfully kill, to kill, which means to deceive us into giving up sacrificing and letting go of the things that God has already given us that already belong to us. He will trick us into moving out of our own home and handing it over to him if he can successfully steal the word. And then if he is successful in killing, he can then go on to destroying If he can't end our life, his goal is to cause absolute destruction in our lives, get us so miserable and consumed with the chaos in our life that he renders us useless to the kingdom of God and God's purpose for our lives. And if he can, put us out of the way entirely where we turn our backs on God and end up blaming him as the source of our despair. But Satan cannot destroy our lives. He cannot trick us into giving up our divine health, peace, provision, protection, or anything else the blood of Jesus paid for. He cannot maintain a foothold in any area of our lives if we refuse to allow him to steal the word. How does he steal the word? Again, (laughs) through the only way he is able to get access to any part of our lives, through his thoughts, through thoughts that try to exalt themselves above our knowledge of God, that try to contradict or place themselves over and above our knowledge of the word. He does it the exact same way he did with Adam and Eve by saying to us, Did God really say? Did God really say you are healed? Look at the symptoms. Look at the doctor's report. Did God really say you are blessed? You have zero bank balance. Did God really say you'd have joy and peace? Look at your emotions are telling you. Did God really say you have divine protection? Look at all the death and destruction and chaos that's out there in the world. There is a multitude of thoughts that he can whisper to us that are all designed to get us looking at what's seen, felt and heard and believing the circumstances more than we believe God. He will bombard us with thoughts about the situation designed to put pressure on us that causes us to feel confined, restricted or without options, to feel like there is no way of escape. And guys, this is the tribulation, persecution and affliction described in Mark 4 that arises for the word's sake, that arises to steal the word. 
The enemy will try to get us into strife and offense with other people. He will dangle bait in front of us with thoughts about what someone did or said, trying to entice us to fall into his trap of unforgiveness because unforgiveness, offense and strife will cause our faith to short circuit and the word will not be able to bear fruit. He is trying to steal the word. Ephesians 4 verse 31 tells us to get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. We have to weed out all bitterness and wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, and malice from the ground of our hearts because if we leave it there, it will choke the word and make it unfruitful. The devil will load us up with thoughts about the cares of life, the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things, knowing that those things will choke the word and make it unfruitful. He cannot have the word of God bearing fruit in our lives. He cannot have us giving testimony to the goodness and grace of God. So he unleashes a barrage of thoughts on us that if we take them, will steal the word, causing us to give up, sacrifice and let go of the things that God has already given us, the things that are already ours. Isaiah 54 verse 17 promises us that no weapon, no weapon, that's an absolute promise, no weapon that is formed against us shall prosper. But why won't it prosper? Because we condemn every tongue that rises against us in judgment. The weapons that are formed against us not prospering are conditional on us condemning every tongue, every thought, every argument, every reasoning, every suggestion that rises against us in judgment. And notice that it isn't God who condemns these tongues, it's our responsibility. The only way that weapons that are formed against us can prosper is if we don't condemn them, if we don't put them to death, if we don't cast them down. We know that the only way the enemy can get access to our lives is by falling for his schemes or devices, by listening to his lies, suggestions, opinions, and thoughts. Every opportunity we have to expose ourselves to the law of sin and death by breaking the commandment to love starts with thoughts the temptation to hold on to unforgiveness and offense, to get into strife, to get into pride, to get into jealousy, all start with thoughts. Gossip and lying and slandering and complaining and criticizing and condemning all start with thoughts about a person or a situation. Death-filled words about ourselves or others all start with thoughts. Fear for ourselves or other people start with thoughts. The only way the devil can steal the word that tells us who we are and what we have by the grace of God is by presenting us with thoughts that contradict the word of God. 
the persecution and affliction that arises for the word's sake are all simply a barrage of thoughts about the problem. The cares of life, the deceitfulness of riches and the lust for other things that choke the word and make it unable to bear fruit all originate with thoughts. The strongholds that the enemy tries to construct in our minds that keep us trapped inside a prison of sickness or depression or financial trouble or anxiety or fear or guilt or relationship problems or condemnation or shame or any other challenge are made of thoughts. Thoughts. Thoughts are at the root of all of it. And the foundational scripture of everything that we've just talked about is 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11. And it says in that verse, In order that Satan should not get advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. We are not ignorant of his devices. So God is telling us that we are not to be ignorant of the devil's schemes Because if we are ignorant of them, it is possible for him to get advantage of us. But now we know, based on everything that we've been learning through this series, that the devil's devices and schemes are simply thoughts. They're simply thoughts, guys. And if we are not ignorant of this, or in other words, if we are fully aware that his only power against us is thoughts, if the only way that we cooperate with him and give him access to our lives is through his thoughts, and if we can learn to recognize and capture his thoughts, guess what? He will never, ever, ever (laughs) be able to get advantage of us ever again. That is good news. And 1 Peter 5 verse 8 also tells us to be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, but resist him firm in the faith. So if we are sober, meaning if we have presence of mind, if we have our wits about us, And if we are vigilant or we are watchful, alert and giving strict attention to, to recognize the thoughts that come from our adversary, if we are sober and recognize those thoughts and resist those thoughts, standing firm in the faith or standing firm on what God's word says about us, he will never, ever ever be able to devour us, ever. He won't be able to get advantage of us and he won't be able to devour us if we have our presence of mind sober and vigilant and are not ignorant of the thoughts that originate from him. God's made it so simple and so straightforward for us. It's not complicated. It's not convoluted. God's made it so simple for us to maintain our victory over the enemy and enforce his defeat. So these promises work both in the offensive, 
That is that the devil not only won't be able to devour you, he won't even be able to get near you. And it also works in the defensive where if he has managed to get access to us somehow, if he has managed to get a foothold in our lives, if he has managed to tempt us to cooperate with him in some area, we now have the tools to push him out the door and take back ground that he may have stolen. So that was a summary of everything that we've discussed in the past 14 episodes. So if any of those points that I've mentioned, if you want any further information or teaching on any of those points, all of it is covered in the last 14 episodes in a lot more depth. So I wanted just to give you, again, an overall picture, an overview of everything that we've talked about, because next week, I promise that we are going to start talking about the how. We are going to talk about how to resist the devil, how to put up our spiritual defense strategies, how to cover ourselves with the blood of Jesus every day, how to keep ourselves in the love of God, how to recognize thoughts from the enemy and what to do with them. And we are going to talk about how to pull down strongholds. So we are going to really get into the practical side of everything that we've learned and you are going to be fully equipped and empowered to know how to resist the devil, know how to recognize thoughts and suggestions that are from him, know what to do with those thoughts, and your life will never look the same again, I promise you. So I really trust that what we've talked about today has blessed and encouraged you. I look forward to the next few episodes where I will be giving you the tools to practically apply everything that we've learned in your life every day. So thank you so much for following along, and I look forward to wrapping this series up in the next few episodes with you. God bless you and I'll catch you next week on Faith Talks. Thank you so much for being part of today's episode of Faith Talks. If you have any questions related to today's or any of my previous episodes, if you have a testimony you would like to share or for a free copy of Confessions for Life, please email me at questions at faithtalks.com.au. For episode announcements and regular encouragement, you can now find Faith Talks with Emily Preston on Facebook and Instagram. Finally, if you know anyone who would benefit from today's or any of my previous teachings, please share this podcast with them and help them receive revelation of the truth that will make them free. Until next time, know that I am praying for you and don't forget to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only, and you will be blessed in everything that you do. God bless you.